0: Hey, this is Jason Hubbard and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. Uh, Last week we talked, and in this series we've been talking about worship, and last week we we talked about worship, and we talked about this life with God principle, right? Right? Of of, There's all these different approaches to God, but really the desire of our hearts is to live life with God. And how worship is really what allows us to be able to enter into a life with God. It's not a life that's just dependent on whatever he can do for us, but it's a relationship that he actually invites us into and how much worship gets to be an avenue and a way in which we can come to know him and come to know him more. And 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 worship is that. It's an amazing tool for us to be able to build a relationship with God. But today I want to talk about a different element of worship. I want to talk about how and Nick said it, how worship is a weapon. I want to talk today about a little bit more of an offensive stance against the enemy. Because there's a lot of stuff in our Christian life, there's a lot of stuff that happens that we kind of just are fortifying ourselves against the attack of the enemy. We fortify ourselves against things that happen in the world And we pray for peace, and we pray for for rest, and we pray for all of these things. and, And we're praying that there would just be protection against the enemy. And all of this is right, and all of this is fine. But there are times in our life where I recognize it's time to switch and to go on the offensive. There's times when we stand up and we say, this far and no further. There's times to stand up and say, the enemy has attacked my family. The enemy has tried to come against my kids. He's tried to attack my health, and I've had it. And the amazing thing is that we have been given a weapon to engage battle against the enemy, and that's worship. It's not, it's not you just trying to be just a little bit better and a little bit stronger and have it within you and muster up the gumption. It's recognizing what we don't have and how much we need God. Today, I wanna walk through a story in the Bible. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. You may have heard it, you may not have. But We're gonna be talking about Jehoshaphat, the king, and a battle that he engaged with against the enemy and how God moved in a powerful way on his behalf. Yes. But this is, this is if, if I was to boil it down, I want to boil it down to this point, and then this point we're going to come back to today, over and over. The point is this, that through our worship, we surrender to God and confuse the enemy. Now, we're going to talk about what this means, but I want you this morning, as I begin to share and as I begin to open this up, I want in your heart and my prayer in your heart is that there would be a, a warfare mentality that would rise up in your spirit. A warfare mentality that says, I can engage in this battle not because of who I am, but because of who He is. And the weapon He gives me is worship. And when my spirit connects with Him and aligns with what God is doing, something powerful takes place. There's two parts to this. The first is that through our worship, we surrender. We surrender. The first and foremost attitude, aspect, position to worship is one of surrender. And I will tell you this in your life, that victory comes when you surrender. That's right. that is right. Victory comes when we realize we can't do it on our own. Yes. And we come to a point of saying, God, here's everything I have. And I lay it at your feet in worship. And we let him do what he does. There's a shift. Maybe today as you're you're listening and as you're hearing these words, maybe the first step for you today in victory is surrender. Maybe you've been carrying some things in your life that are not yours to have to carry. Maybe you've been making the result of what you're facing and fighting and engaging in based off of you. Victory comes when we surrender. Today, it might be that in your heart, you just need to bring some of those things that you've been fighting hard for, surrender them to God, and let his power do the work it can. Whatever it is, we all carry burdens. We all carry pain. We all carry hurt. We all carry things that are happening in life. It's just natural. We all do. But I think the beautiful thing is that we all have the opportunity to surrender those things. Jesus said this, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Surrender, surrender, surrender. Now, what does it mean to confuse the enemy? We're going to dig into that today. But I'm going to tell you right now, I get really excited about this. Because I love the idea that our worship confuses him. What want you to think about that for a second. It confuses him. This story is going to outline that and help us to understand this. I want to set it up a little bit. Um, The the, the nation of Israel was broken into two kingdoms, the Israelites, Israel, and Judah. And they had different kings, and and God did different things throughout them, and, and it was a divided nation that ultimately did, you know, God did great things through all of it. But this specific story happens around the nation of Judah. Jehoshaphat was king, and Jehoshaphat had actually made some decisions to align with Ahab, who was not a good king who was ruling in Israel. And Jehoshaphat made a choice to form an allegiance without first seeking God on what he was to do. And there were consequences to that decision. There were consequences to Jehoshaphat not doing what he knew that he was supposed to do and aligning with someone who was not on God's page. So we see the result of this, and there was a repentance, and there was a coming back, and now we see Jehoshaphat, and he, he's sitting in this place, and, and we see at the beginning of, of 2 Chronicles 20 that, that uh, the enemy had come to wage war against Judah. Now, now they had a lot of enemies, but two of which were the Moabites and the Ammonites. The Moabites and the Ammonites. Now Now, these two specific enemies... I kind of I want to pull some some thoughts around what they represent because it's one thing to look at a story in the Old Testament, it's another thing to apply it to our lives and how it works in us, right? So these two stories, the Moabites, the Moabites were really nasty guys, and they worshiped a God named Kemosh. Kemosh wasn't a real God, but it was their God. Now, Kamash, as you do some research and study that name at the very basis of that name, his name literally means destroyer. So this one enemy that was coming against God's people was coming to destroy. Now, let's overlay the New Testament. In John 10.10, Jesus says that there is a thief who comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Meaning this, we face the same enemy, just with a different face. The tactics and the plan of the enemy is still to take you out. Yay, you. He does not like you. Satan does not like you. He does not like this. He does not like when the church joins together and when there's unity. He does not like seeing people that were once lost, found, and now in life-giving relationship and in the body of Christ. He does not like what is happening here at One Life on this Sunday morning. And he comes to try to destroy us. Anybody in life ever felt like, and maybe you're in this place right now where the enemy is just trying to take slaps at you to try to take you out and destroy you? The enemy is real, and his plan to destroy us is real. Does this get any better? Yes. Stay with me. (laughs) The second enemy was the Ammonites. Now, the Ammonites worshipped a god whose name was Milcom. Now, Milcom, as you dig into it, was actually a derivative of the same god whose name was Molech. Some of you might be familiar with Molech. Molech was one of the gods in the Bible that was worshiped, that was probably one of the most gruesome, gross, disgusting gods that there was. It's the only time I'm ever going to tell you as a pastor that just don't look him up. You know, have you ever heard a pastor tell you not to research something in the Bible? Just save yourself, right? it was nasty. The worst of the worst, rituals and sacrifices and worship that you can possibly imagine was around Molech. Not a good guy. Not a good guy. Now, to save you guys the time, I did research him. <laughs> and, uh, and one of the things that I found is that at the base, at the root of his name, his name means the sacrifice of man. Now, Now, here's how it applies to us. We have an enemy who wants to destroy us. And if he can't destroy us, he will rob the best of what we have for something else. And your sacrifice of your life, your strength, your worship, your vitality, everything will be distracted and redirected. We are up against today an enemy who wants to destroy you, and an enemy who wants to rob from you. And how does he do this? If he can get you to give the best of who you are to something other than God, he's one. That's right. That's right. Well, you say, "What my job, I have, to bring, I have to bring my best. And you're right. You do have to have a good work ethic. You do have to be someone who is a good steward. You do have to work hard. You have to to be an example. But if your job and the community you're in is getting your best and there's nothing left, might be an area that the enemy has tried to use to rob you. Maybe the best of your efforts, the best of your virtue, the best of your strength goes to hobbies to where then there's nothing left outside of that hobbies are not bad when the enemy uses them to rob the best of who you are that's where the issue is i know i'm meddling and it's a little bit sobering to think about but this is how the enemy works second corinthians says to not be ignorant of the enemy's devices We can't be ignorant to the fact that the enemy is trying to destroy us. And if he's not trying to destroy us, he's trying to rob and distract and get us to ultimately sacrifice to something other than God. We have to be aware of this. I I find it in my life. There, There are weeks when I go through my life. And I get to the end of the week and I'm like, I am exhausted and I'm spent and I don't feel close to God. And, and, and what in the world? Well, if I look back over the course of my week, if my devotional time was interrupted with cares and worries about other things, if I didn't even have a devotional time because I felt pressures and, and everything for all the other things, if I didn't carve out and prioritize time where my spirit could connect with God and be refreshed, then you better believe at the end of it, there's nothing left. Because I've given the best of everything I have to everything other than that. So let's not be naive to the devil and his vices. Let's not be naive to what he tries to destroy us with. There are things that are blatant, but I tell you what, I find the enemy works way more in distraction than he does destruction. Because destruction you can see coming and you can get what it is. Distraction is way more subtle. So let us be a people, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, that are alert, and that see what he's doing. Perceive, this is what the enemy's up to in my life, and not allow him to take any more ground. This is where worship comes in. So enter the story. These two enemies were coming up against the people of God. And so what they did is they sought God. And then I'm going to pick it up in verse 13. I'm going to read out of the New Living. The the translation, I think, that's going to be on the screen is a little bit different, but that's okay. You can track along with it. The basics are the same. It's fine. Jesus wins. Devil loses. We're victorious. Okay. As long as that's where your translation gets you, we're good. Okay. Okay. All right, verse 13. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jeheziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Mattaniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. And there I just earned my master's or my bachelor's degree. Whew. all right. He said this Listen, all you people of Jerusalem and Judah. Listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid and don't be discouraged by this mighty army. There's a lot of things today that we question and we wonder, am I hearing the voice of God? I want to tell you that if it's a voice that does not tell you to not be afraid, if it's a voice that brings fear to your life, it is, if it is a voice that brings condemnation to your life, then no, it is not of God. Because the first thing that God, and I always see God says, either through himself or his angels, do not be afraid to his people. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. I'm going to read that again. The battle is not yours, but God's. He's the victor. He's the champion. He's the one who enabled us to move forward in life and to have victory in life. It's not us. It's him. It's his battle. Now, Here's what I understand about it being his battle. We, we can get these, like, goosebumps, chicken skin, as Nick says. We can get this chicken skin that's like, oh, feels so good. It's his battle. It's his battle. Here's the misconception. I want to just speak this over you. Even though it's God's battle, that does not give us permission to sit on the sidelines. I want you to hear me. Because it's God's battle means he's the champion and... He calls the shots. His battle, his terms. Are we called to be part of this army? You better believe it. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never march over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. I'm in. Okay, I'm done. You better believe that as a believer, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, that when it's the Lord's battle, we have a responsibility to fall in line and follow our general. It's his battle, and he calls the shots, and it's not up to us to come up with what that strategy is. It is up to us to stand up in faith for what he wants us to do. Okay? So, so this, is, this is this beautiful thing about this passage. God says it's my battle. Now, Isaiah 55 says this. My, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Your, my ways higher than your ways. Which means that if it's his battle and it's his terms, then we had better fall in line with him to see a victory. He doesn't think about the battle the same way that we do. He doesn't think about the war the same way that we do. He thinks about it from the end looking backwards, knowing that the victory is secure. This is how he does it, okay? The battle's his. Tomorrow, march out against them and you will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But do but you will not even need to fight. Now here's here's where it comes in. You won't need to fight, but take your positions. And then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. Oh. I like that a lot better. Stand still. Now, here's the thing. There's three Hebrew words here that are fantastic. The word for positions is yatsab. Yatsab means it's a battle-ready stance. Meaning what? If the battle's the Lord, we still have the responsibility to present arms and to fall in line and have a battle-ready stance. Here's where this applies in worship. In our worship... We need to continue to stand, to position ourselves for battle, to position ourselves for a victory, to believe that because our God is on the move, we will see a victory. Because he is our champion and he is going out before us, we can position ourselves for a victory. It doesn't mean that we just sit back and do nothing. And then stand still. The next word, Ahmad, Ahmad. Ahmad means to remain, to stop striving, to stop trying to come up with something, but to remain. Now, that's really hard to do when you see the enemy coming at you. But because this is God's battle and how he does things is different, we can stand secure. We tell this to our kids all the time. Our kids our kids are, are, are um, learning that dogs are a good thing. Um, it's a slow process. You can pray for us, you know. Dustin has decided that the dog he does wanna have is a little chihuahua. I'm like, well, that's not a dog. You wanted a dog. I'm not dogging on chihuahuas. If you like chihuahuas, then Jesus loves you. <laughs> but what do we tell them? We go over to people's house. We go over to Scott and Rachel's house. They've got a really, really cool dog. And we went over there one time. And uh, my kids, it's a big dog. It's a big lab, chocolate lab or something like that. And they just they, the, the lab just runs over, super excited. And the thing we tell our kids, don't run. Don't run. If you run, he thinks you're playing tag, right? Like don't run. Inevitably, "Ah!" you know, like, all right, well, there you go. All right. So that's what it is. But, but the same thing is true against the enemy. If we are to stand still, it means that we don't fear the enemy because our God is bigger. We don't have to run in fear. We don't have to go run and hide. Because you know what? When you run, it puts a target on you that the enemy comes after even more. Because it shows that your faith in God has left you. This is why. Stand. Don't move. And the last word, to watch or see, is this word raa, You have to roll the R's. It's really cool. And what it means is this. It's different than noticing. It's not glancing and seeing something, but it's to examine it. Hear hear me. God says, I want you to position yourself, stand, and watch, which means I want you to examine what I'm doing. Are we aware of what God is doing? Are we able to look, to observe, and perceive what God is up to? Here's my thought, and this is just based off of my own life and experience. The more that we are able to perceive, to observe and perceive what God is doing, the less fear is there because we see what he's up to. The more that we can get into his word, The more that we can spend time in prayer, the more that we can seek his heart and say, God, what are you doing? I want to be able to see what you're up to. I want to be able to see what's going on in the spiritual realm. I want to be able to see your plan and your purposes. And the more that he does that, my circumstance suddenly starts to dwindle as I start to understand the bigger picture of what God is up to. And we start to be able to see things from a different perspective because we're starting to see it from God's perspective and not just our own perspective. So God says, listen, I want you to position yourself because you do have a part in this battle. I want you to stand and remain and don't run in fear. And I want you to watch, really watch and see what I'm doing. Um, This is something that all of us can grow in is our ability to watch and see what God is doing. How many would we like an upgrade of that this year? Just being able to really see what God is doing. It would change our circumstances, I think, a lot in our perspective on things if we actually saw the long game that God's actually playing, That's right? right? Yeah. Because we look at our circumstance and we go, God, how are you gonna do this? What's gonna happen? How? I don't get it. And if we get God's perspective, we go, oh, Jeremy's favorite line, I love it. <laughs> oh. When we start to see from God's perspective, right? Okay, so that's that. You guys good? So now we get ready for battle. So take your position, stand still, watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and discouraged. There it is again. He had to say it because clearly it didn't work the first time. Go out against them tomorrow for the Lord is with you. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping God. Okay, here's a principle. Worship is the first thing that we do and we're gonna see at the end of the story that it's the last thing that we do. Worship is the bookends to seeing any kind of victory take place in our lives. We worship to usher in the victory and to see the victory and see what happens and we worship out of gratitude and thankfulness for everything God's done. Worship is a part of it all. Then the Levites from the clans of Koah and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. Now, here we go. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And on the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. I love that. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. And after consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endures forever. Come on. If there's one song that's going to be resonating in our heart, it's give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endures forever. And then get this. This is the power of this. At the very moment they begin to sing and praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to fight among themselves. He sent an ambush. The moment they started to worship. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. The moment that you begin to worship, things start going. That's right. yeah. Does that mean you're gonna see the results and see the victory that very next minute? No, no. But make no mistake that as soon as you start worshiping, surrendering, going to battle, letting your worship be a weapon, it does something in the spirit. Amen. It activates something in the spirit if you've been up against something for a long time and you've been facing something for a long time and you've been fighting to like, f- try to figure out what's going on in your life, maybe it's time to increase your worship to see something unlock in it. And it won't always happen in the timing that we think and that we want, but something always starts moving. Now this ambush, this is what's so cool about this. Historians, theologians, scholars would say that they believe that what this ambush was was an ambush of jealousy and animosity in the enemy. Jealousy and animosity. Where are those things based? Selfishness. What is worship based in? Selflessness. Here you have the spirit of selfishness and the spirit of selflessness at war with one another. And here's what I understand about this, is that these enemies turned on each other and completely annihilated one another. Just think about that for a second. There was so much of this spirit of division and jealousy and animosity and hostility that was there that they destroyed themselves. No wonder in Psalm 121, does, does God say, or does, does David write about how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity? Yes. Yes. Like, no duh. Because if we don't dwell in unity with one another, there's jealousy and animosity that creep up. And I, I don't want to say it, but it's true. That's even present in the church. If my life situation looked like so-and-so, I'd be in such a different place. Why can't my life look like that? Why can't I see those things take place in my life? And before we know it, instead of celebrating what's happening in somebody else's life, we start to get jealous about what's happening in somebody else's life. I'm here to tell you today, God doesn't desire that for his church. God doesn't want us to be a church that's full of jealous and animosity towards one another. There is a breaking off of that spirit that comes through worship because it unifies us around the purpose of God and what he's doing. So, to recap, worship brought about a victory. Jealousy and animosity secured a fate. I would much rather be on the side of unifying around worship to see a victory. I'm not really a fan of jealousy, animosity. Yes, Lord. Okay, I'll, I'll hold still. It's not even the end of service. What are you telling me? Be done? All right. The armies of Moab absolutely destroyed each other. Verse 24. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, I want you to just think about this for a second. All they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Get this. And it it says this here Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. Different than human victory, God's victory is complete. There's no pieces left undone. It's complete. On their very best day, when they were just like killing it, and when they were out there, they wouldn't have been able to do such a good job. God's victory is complete. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder, and they found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days just to collect it all. On the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, I love that, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. And it is still called the Valley of Blessing today. Then all the men returned to Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat, leading them overjoyed that the Lord had given them victory over their enemies. Two key words here. Two key words. Returned and overjoyed. Returned and overjoyed. Other other translation says returned and joyful, full of joy. When the victory of the Lord is what we live in and when there is the victory of the Lord that takes place, make no mistake that there will be a returning, that there won't be a destruction. There won't be a destroying of your soul and your spirit because the victory and the battle belongs to the Lord. There is a returning. It may look bleak in your life right now. It may look really dark in your life right now. But I want to tell you that because it is God's battle, you will return victorious. It may not look like that today. It may not even look like that tomorrow. But you will return victorious. And as you return victorious, you will return full of joy. Full of joy. Not happiness. Not a smile plastered on your face. But joy that is rooted in the victory that God has. You return and you're overjoyed. And then what they do? They marched in Jerusalem to the music of harps, lyres, and trumpets. And they proceeded to the temple of the lord bookends they worshiped they worshiped at the beginning and worshiped at the end now now here's the important point of this story i just shared a really cool story about how it was god's victory how god did it how he just went out and he walloped up on the enemy so cool so amazing awesome The one detail that I had not realized before, I know this story since I was a kid, something that God revealed to me this time as I was studying, God did not once tell them that the strategy was to put the musicians out and worship. Just go with me here. Not one time in what we just read, did God say, here's the plan. Unlike Jericho, where God said, this is how I want you to do it. What does that mean? Worship was their automatic response. It was their automatic response. God didn't have to tell them to do it. Yeah, right. Victory came because their default was worship. Right. There's an enemy that's that we can't beat. The whor- I mean, More enemy than you can possibly see, imagine, or think. So what are we going to do? We're going to worship. Duh. That's right. uh, that's right. Is worship your default? Is worship your default? Is worship the automatic response of your life? Now, I'm not here to condemn, and I'm not here to bring anything like that, but I am here to challenge all of us that just like Jehoshaphat when they went up against the enemy, their automatic response was worship to where that was the only thing that they knew to do. Would that be? And could God challenge us to let that be our automatic response? That we put on worship music, and when we recognize that we are up against an impossible situation, the first thing that we don't even think about is we worship. We worship. Why? Because, like I said at the beginning, worship confuses the enemy. What do you think about this? This is what happened. They worshiped. They went out. The worshipers went out and they started worshiping. And you have to wonder sometimes some of the people, you know, some of the armies going, all we're doing is singing songs. Like, You're going to fight it all or just sing? Karaoke again or what? But what happened is that confused the enemy. Here is why worship is a weapon for us. Because the automatic response in life, in our culture and in our world, to hard things that happen, to trials, to pressure, to testing, all of that, the natural response if you live in the world is not to worship, is not to stand and remain and see God move. The natural response is worry, the natural response is anxiety, the natural response is fear, against what's going to happen when we start to see some of these things fold in on themselves. So what confuses the enemy is when he says, hey, I'm gonna bring this stuff against you and I'm expecting it to fo- cause worry. I'm expecting it to breed insecurity and doubt and fear and, and all of these things in your life. And then if the first thing that we do, the automatic response is to turn on our worship music and just start worshiping God, he goes, what? What? I don't know about you, I kind of like the idea of confusing the enemy a little bit. I like the idea that when I'm facing the impossible situation, that rather than start to fixate on the situation and start to work it over in my mind and say there's no possible way for me to come up with any solution to this, that rather than that, I start worshiping God, get my eyes on him, and then the devil goes, well, I don't know what to do with that. That doesn't mean that the attack of the enemy won't go away, because remember, he hates you. <laughs> Yay! But I will say that when we get our perspective right, it throws him into a whirl. This is what happened in this story. I want you to hear over your life right now that when you start to let the automatic response of your life be worship, it confuses the enemy and his plans against you. Because he has plans to harm you he has plans to destroy you but not our god and if our eyes are on him and the battle is his it's like a sneak attack on the enemy sneak attack this week let your worship be something that confuses the enemy you're facing something impossible in your life right now, sounds like the perfect time to start worshiping. Now, worship is not just the songs we sing, it's a holistic life. And this is where I, I want to kind of conclude today. Worship involves our attitudes, our confessions, and our actions. We worship God through our attitudes. We worship God through the confessions of our mouth. And we worship God with the actions of our life. It's multifaceted. It's not just while I sang a song, but does the rest of our life actually show that as well? When we do these things, it confuses the enemy. The first of these, attitudes of worship. Your attitudes of worship The Bible talks about what these attitudes are. They're things like humility, patience, kindness, not being irritable. Or how about the attitude of being alert and ready for an attack? We worship God through attitudes my encouragement to you would be to dedicate your attitudes to worshiping God. You know where this is tested the most? If you're married, your spouse, it's a good opportunity. It's a great opportunity to allow your attitudes towards somebody to be ones that are grounded in worship that the way that we treat our spouses would be an act of worship. The way that we, we interact with them, the way that we care for them is an act of worship. Our bosses, our children, our employees, it's an act of worship. The second one is this, the confessions of our worship. Actually speaking things out that we believe in our heart. You know where the best place is to start with that? Scripture. Romans 8, 31. If God be for us, who can be against us? 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in me than he is in the world. Isaiah 54. No weapon formed against us will prosper. Psalm 118. God is my strength and my song. Acts 17, in him we live and move and have our being. Not apart from him, but in him. In Psalm 3, he is a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. What are you confessing? What are the confessions of your mouth saying? I tell you what, there's a, great way to start the day is just with some declarations of who God is. That's right. yes. Confessing with your mouth what you believe. It's powerful. And finally, actions of worship. Actions of worship. Dad talked about this when he was here a few weeks, weeks ago, and he was talking about how we worship in everything that we do. Or we have the opportunity to worship in everything that we do. There are some things that don't bring God worship. But if we dedicate our actions to the Lord, we dedicate them saying, God, I want you to work through me. And I want the actions, the things that I do to bring you praise. Uh, Real quick, I wanna back up just a second. You don't have to, Lane, you can stay there. Confessions. Confessions of worship aren't just over, like I mentioned spouse and I mentioned all this. Um, declaring the truth of scripture over your family is, is powerful. We don't do it enough. I don't do it enough. We just let things slide and then we wonder why there's chaos in our homes. Well, we haven't declared and confessed anything different. If we were to be a people that confess, that believe those things, that we speak over the atmospheres of our home. They have power. Your words and your confession of scripture over your home have power. They have power. Back to actions. Psalm 37 says this, commit your way to the Lord. Everything you do, everything you say, every attitude you have, commit it to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act, making your righteousness shine like the dawn. Your justice like the noonday. In Colossians 3, whatever you do, a verse that is so misconstrued and taken out of context, whatever you do in your life with the right posture, the right attitude, the right heart and and posture before the Lord, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. You're doing it for an audience of one. You live for an audience of one. Whatever you do. These three things encompass our lives. So this week, it's a little bit more of a a challenge week for us. My prayer for us is that we would be a church with attitudes, confessions, and actions of worship, but that we would go on the offensive a little bit this week with our worship. That there are some things in our life that maybe we've let slide for so long. This week, there can be a shift and a change. And I'll say this, there are things that we've also been believing for for a long time, Some people have been believing for children to return to the Lord for a really, really long time. And I wanna say this over you today, that still the weapon of our warfare is worship. If you've done everything you can, Ephesians 6 says this, stand. Um, I'm gonna ask you to be bold. If, if, if there's something in your life that, that you have been fighting and fighting and fighting and it feels like the enemy is just uppercut, southpaw, everything, and you just feel like worn out, and there's something going on in life. Maybe it's gone on for a really long time. Maybe it hasn't. There's something going on in your life right now where you're like, I am up against it. And I honestly don't know what else to do. I want to ask you if you would be so bold as just to stand. If that's you. You're facing something that is that is real that you're up against, that you have no victory and you have not seen victory in, that you're still wanting that for. Just stand up, just be bold. Take your positions and stand still and watch the Lord's victory. The Lord's victory. I'm going to pray for you. Um, I believe, for you who are standing right now, it is a new day for you. It is a new day. Does that mean that what you're facing is going to go away today or tomorrow? No, but it's a new day because it's a reminder for you today. If all I can do for you today is remind each and every one of you, it's the Lord's battle. It's his victory. It's not up to you to come up with it. And it's not your fault that it hasn't happened yet. It's his victory. It's his victory. Where you've been beat up and where you've been torn down and where the enemies had a field day with you, I'm here to tell you today that the same God who is victorious on the cross is the same God who is victorious today in your life. That what you're facing, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And he is working on your behalf. So I wanna pray, and, and if you're standing, if you feel comfortable, just put your hands out or up or whatever or on your heart or help, you know, whatever it is. And I want to pray over you this morning. Everybody else, if you're standing around someone who has their hand or they're standing, why don't you stand up and just put a hand on their shoulder. If you're not close to somebody, that's okay. Just reach out your hands and we're going to pray. Jesus, right now, I ask that Holy Spirit, you would come and you would refresh your people right now in the name of Jesus those who have been in the battle, those who have been in the war, those who have had the enemy coming to try to destroy and knock down and tear down, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for a refreshing and a grace to pour over their lives in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that everything that the enemy has tried to take away, or even anything that the enemy has taken away, I pray for a returning of that right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we declare in every situation that the battle is yours, and the victory is yours. And when the battle is yours, and when the victory is yours, it is complete. And the plunder from that is more than we can possibly imagine. Lord, I pray that you would come to return to your people what has been stolen and robbed from them. I pray right now that the years and the health and the worry and the pain and the sadness and the the, the depression would be removed now in the name of Jesus. And I pray for a returning of your strength to fill your people, Father, right now, right now, right now. And once again, Father God, we position ourselves to stand when we've done everything else. Ephesians says, when we've done everything else, we stand. And when we're tired of standing and for those that have been fighting for a long time and those that have been up against it for a long time, I pray for fresh wind in their sails today. I pray for a fresh breath and anointing of the Holy Spirit to be upon them today. I pray that where they have been depleted and where they have run out, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that they would be filled up with fresh life, with newness of life, with newness of hope and of grace and of faith to believe that you are still God and you still are the victor and you're still moving on our behalf. I pray that today, that there would be a pushing back against the attack of the enemy. Lord, I pray for those that have been battling a health situation in this place for a very long time. Very simply, by your stripes we are healed. And I declare healing to be upon your people today. Chronic pain, breathing, kidneys, cancer, bones that are out of alignment, all of it, healing in the name of Jesus, I declare it. And we ask for it, Lord, and we put our faith in you. We put our confidence in you. We put our hope in you. And I thank you that you are working on the behalf of your people. And now for all of us in this place, God, we position ourselves today To simply look to you again as the victor. This battle is yours. And we use the weapons that you've given us, but it's your battle. And so we praise you today. When it doesn't make sense, we praise. When it doesn't make sense, we worship. Because you're good. You're good. And we thank you for it, Jesus. Now, just in this place, as we just get ready to end service and the band can join me up on stage. If you're in this place or online, you're far from Christ. You don't know Christ. You don't have a relationship with him. And you've experienced the attack of the enemy. And you want to, you just, you need God in your life today. I want you to just repeat a simple prayer after me. And this prayer is just giving your life to the Lord and asking him to come in and be the Lord of your life, the general of your life. And it's a recognition that he is the champion. So repeat this after me, dear Jesus. I come to you today, living, I've lived my own life. I've done my own thing. I've gone my own way. And I come to you today I bring you my life, I lay it down before you, and I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask you to be the Lord of my life, to be the champion of my life, that I would be able to know your victory, your peace, your wholeness. I repent of all my sins and ask you to wash me Make me clean. In Jesus' name, amen.